So welcome everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, this is the third webinar we've had in uh, 2022. It's, today it's focused on social media metrics to streamline your marketing tasks. Um, for everyone new to our webinars, I am Samantha Morris. I lead the strategy department over at Listen First. If you are a repeat attendee, I know you are likely used to seeing Megan Cahill. She is the VP of Client Experience over at Listen First, but she's a little busy. Uh, she just became a mom again, um, so she welcomed a healthy and beautiful baby girl to the world last week. We're very happy with her and her family, um, but you're stuck with me today, so I hope no one minds. Um, cool, so a few housekeeping items before we dive into this. Um, this webinar is being recorded. Um, for Listen First customers, this and all past webinars can be found in the Help Center when you log into the Listen First platform, but the link will also be shared with all of our attendees via email next Tuesday, so be on the lookout for that. Um, we do have time reserved at the end for audience Q&A. Um, if you do have any questions throughout the webinar, please feel free to use the Q&A box. Uh, we'll batch them all at the end um, of the call for our panelists to answer. Um, and you're also welcome to raise your hand during the Q&A if you like to ask one live, but I figure everyone's more comfortable with uh, just typing them out and we can read them out. Cool. All right. Going to the next slide here. So just looking at our agenda. So a quick overview of what we have going on today. Um, first, we're gonna kick it off with our listen first overview. So who we are, what we do, um, introductions to our panelists. Um, thank you guys for coming. Um, and then we have marketers and their metrics. So it's just a few stats about what marketers are saying about social media um, and how it's affecting their business decisions and ROI. Um, and then we have our panel discussion. And then finally, we have questions from you guys for our panelists. So we're really excited to dive in. Good stuff. So those who are not familiar with Listen First, a quick bit about who we are. And if you do know about us, this is just a refresh. Um, so we are a SaaS company uh, and we have a specific focus on removing all of these silos between the different data sets on social media. So Listen First saves you time by aligning all of your owned, paid, earned, and organic social data into one view. Um, we also provide in-depth analysis tools to turn your data into actionable insights and drive your social strategy and business ROI. Um, so it's simplified by our mission shown on this slide. So we make our clients smarter by providing unparalleled picture of their brand competitors and overall market performance on social media. Just looking at who we serve here. So um, we, we are leveraged by global enterprise brands across varying industries uh, to drive their social strategies, as can be seen here. Um, we often sit alongside a suite of social tools for execution, but we are the sole and most in-depth solution focused specifically on analytics and insights, um, insights generation. And how do we do this? So there's a number of things that make us the premier provider of social analytics. So we all know there's many solutions out there and everyone has access to the same data APIs, but it's what we do with that data that makes us stand out. So a few specifics that make us unique. So one would be our data taxonomy, which gives our customers the ability to analyze at the parent level and then funnel down to an individual and brand level for over 200,000 brands in our software with over seven years of history on that. Um, and this taxonomy, along with our syndicated measurement tools and a, uh, and a single place to look at paid, owned, earned, and competitive data um, is the key to understanding uh, your performance and you're driving your strategy. 
And then lastly, we always like to highlight our customer service and our award-winning services here. So our team of software support, client success, and uh, professional services all make sure that they understand your business, anticipate your needs, and deliver unparalleled quality of service. Cool. And then just looking at uh, some use cases that um, our customers leverage us for, we touch all parts of the marketing funnel. So from research and development, all the way down through reporting results and key learnings. And now we are going to introduce our panelists. So first up, we have Alyssa Futhi. Um, she is the Senior Manager of Digital Brand at ADT Security Services. Um, her love for the brand and storytelling have resulted in ADT being one of the top uh, engaged brands across all advertisers on social media, which is a pretty impressive feat. Alyssa had plenty of experience in her previous roles that had created a unique holistic marketing foundation for herself and the success for her company. Um, well, welcome, Alyssa. Thank you for having coming. And uh, I was going to say thank you for having us, but thank you for coming. Um, <laughs> next up. We have Christina Marino. So Christina is a manager of social analytics at AE Networks. Um, here she gets dirty with all of her social listening, competitive research, own uh, creative insights and recommendations, as well as cultural impacts on social, which is really interesting. Um, so really the works, a little taste of everything Christina has her hands in. Um, she's based out of New York City and she's been working in social analytics for seven years and has been at A&E for about three. Um, so Christina, thanks for coming. And last but not least, we have Sarah Schwartz. Um, at MGM, Sarah is the Senior Manager of Social Media at MGM Studios, where she develops and implements cross-platform social strategy. Um, she also oversees all of MGM's catalog accounts and theatrical marketing campaigns, so she has her hands on a lot of things here. Um, I've personally known Sarah since she started at MGM, um, and now my team works her, with her ever since, so it's been fun being on this journey with you, Sarah, um, and we're really happy to have you. Cool. All right, just teeing up before we get into our panel discussion here. So I wanted to share a few stats with you guys. Um, marketers have gotten more savvy in 2021, which is great to hear. Um, there's been a 27% improvement in digital marketing skills over the last year. So it's great to see everyone learning and growing with the industry, um, especially one that is ever changing. So everyone's learning something new at the same time. So we're all kind of in an even playing field. In addition to that, so marketers have also reported that social media is playing an even bigger role in their success, so performing at a rate 18% higher than the year prior. And we are also trying to keep that momentum going. So as we've seen reported, so only about 14% of marketers can tie those social efforts to ROI, um, but we're hoping this discussion helps pump those numbers up a little bit. All right, I think that's enough out of me. We're gonna start our panel discussion. Um, ladies, are you ready for our first question? All right, great. Um, so first up we have, um, when it comes to developing the right partner relationships, which metrics matter most? Um, Sarah, do you wanna kick this one off? Yeah, of course. Uh, thank you for the amazing intro, Sam. Of course. <laughs> um, so I think when it comes to metrics and your partners, it really is case by case basis, like what your partner's needs are, are probably the most important. So understanding like the, the definition of all the metrics that you have in your social media tool belt, and then making sure that you can find the right one that applies to each partner. Definitely. Alyssa, did you want to take, uh, add to that? Yeah. So actually very much echoing what Sarah said. Um, so 
Absolutely love that framing. But what I would also add is you need to have an empathetic mind to help shape the story to benefit everyone. Um, I think so often, especially in social media and speaking pretty transparently, I think to a pretty full um, audience full of people who work in this, um, often people come to you with what their metrics are for their goals. And so there's sort of a retroactive fitting that they want social to fit into. Um, and so really what your job as a strategic storyteller and content builder um, is to be able to say, hey, that's really great, but here's all these insights that actually I think this would really level up to. Um, so you need to be able to balance the delicate, the delicate nature of, yes, this is our overall strategy goal within an organization, but here's ultimately for social specifically, this is our wheelhouse where we need to case by case analyze it. So um, I just really think that that's something that we don't really talk enough about is it's a meshing of goals on a one, on a case by case basis um, where we're bring, we're two powerful teams you know coming together often our, our internally stakeholders um, where we just really need to think about um, what should be the ultimate you know ultimate level but then taking that and then figuring out on this case by case basis how to empathize and um, bring that heart that you have with what their goals are. Definitely. Yeah. And Christina, did you have anything to add? Yeah, I think Alyssa and Sarah covered it great. I think the goal setting is probably the biggest challenge. Every team has their own goals and their own ROIs. And it's really translating like what is the best for social? How does this best capture the type of goal, like the metrics that will best capture that goal? So if your team focuses on editorial versus video, you know, providing the right metrics that you can really educate that team and show them the benefits of using social, but then also making sure that we're, you know, laddering up to what that team goal is very specific. Since we can get such unfettered data from Listen First, you really have a lot of access to really support each team's priorities. Yeah, definitely. Case by case basis, for sure, is one of the number one takeaways from this. And I do think that, um, a level of education between departments is really important just so everyone understands what they're getting and what the goal should be for a better, a grander scheme of things for the business. Awesome. All right. Next question. <clears throat> Do you have any silver bullet metrics for gaining campaign sign off? Um, Alyssa, did you want to take that one away? I would love to. Um, so I'm just going to say this. Um, there's never going to be one specific silver bullet metric because like we just said, and this is probably the word of the, or the phrase of the hour, the case by case basis of we have, if we're running social, all of our platforms have unique KPIs and metrics and constant testing that they're doing. Um, there's no way that we can make a one size fits all solution that's going to work. And so again, as a subject matter experts and as a strategist that we are and the passion that we are, we need to understand, hey, let's go back to like what your goals are back there and then talk about what we should ultimately be measuring for. And quite frankly, that's being a part of conversations of shaping what are your individual what are your goals, organiza your organizational goals um, for this year? How do you ladder them up to that? Um, so that way you know how to shape for your audience. So if you want to consider that a silver bullet, absolutely, it's know your audience um, and you and know that. But um, I, I hate to break it to you, but just with the nature of where we work in, um, you can have your silver bullet in theory, but you need to be having ready to have it across all the channels um, instead of just saying, hey, this is what we're going to go for, because I can tell you that one platform versus another one. Um, if you come to the very end, you're going to you're going to have a very un uncomfortable conversation about why something didn't work. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 
I completely agree with what Alyssa was saying, just to like echo that our, our job is really just to define what all of these different metrics are and why they're important to a campaign. Because as social managers with the rest of our departments, we're really bridging the gap between what social is, what the landscape is, how things are changing, how algorithms are changing, which metrics are most important. Um, so it's it's constantly shifting. <laughs> Christina's laughing because she knows that it happens on a <laughs> monthly basis. Um, so yeah, just really bridging that gap and making sure that we are defining, you know, all of those metrics as constantly as they're shifting, because it is case by case and, and there is never going to be a silver bullet. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've specifically seen um, just through my career in social analytics over the past five and a half, six years is just it, it focused away, it was so concentrated on glamour metrics in the beginning. So like how many followers you have, how many engagements did I get? And it's transformed into like a hundred different things that you need to look at and the audience that you need to look at. There's so many different things that you need to focus on and you really just need to make sure you're defining them between departments. So not everyone's gonna have the same measure of success as you think in your, in your head and your strategy. Um, yeah, even to just quickly add to that, I think it's yeah. finding finding a way to normalize the data as much yeah. as possible too. Like obviously, you know, every day there's a new platform coming out, the platforms are changing their capabilities, the algorithms are changing. So how do we find that sense to normalize that data that we're looking at so we can communicate internally to kind of explain not all the technicality to it, but just say like, you know, things are changing, but we're seeing this. So is it using, you know, a response rate or a view rate? Is it view through? Is it, you know, so I think the silver bullet is almost being more on top of like these algorithmic changes that are just constantly evolving and then communicating that back to say, you know, hey, this platform completely changed what they're doing. Let's pivot. And I know we'll get to that later, but how do you pivot in that moment and really kind of communicate what those metrics are and why, you know, maybe it worked for one campaign and then you push to the next campaign and you say like, hey, that's just not going to work anymore. Sorry, Facebook changed something. <laughs> exactly. You know, I have a quick question on that. How I know I'm deviating from the script a little bit, but how quickly do you pivot to, uh, typically when you see a new format come out? So like, say a couple months ago when you had Reels. Um, come out? Do you wait for other people to like start doing that stuff and see how that performs? Or are do you wait until like everyone kind of herds themselves like sheep and starts doing it at the same time, like following that algorithm? Do you take that chance in the beginning? Yeah, I think we try to as at least in our team as researchers, we try to be as up to date as those changes as possible and then communicate that to our our creative and our social strategists and understand like, does this make sense for our business? Does it make sense for even the separate brands? You know, we have lifetime history and A&E, not all brands are created equal, not all platforms are created equal. So does it make sense for our audience? So then we'll dig into kind of the audience demographics, the type of content that works well for us. And then maybe even just do a test and learn if it's a capability that's exciting and it's gaining traction and you want to get your brand awareness out there, then why not test it out if you think that it makes sense for your brand? Yeah, yeah. and just, just to echo what Christina was saying, usually the platforms will uh, put you up higher in the algorithm when you're using these like new tools. So for example, with Reels, like the quicker that people started using Reels, the better the performance was on those Reels just because it's, it is such a new tool and the platforms want to incentivize you to use those tools. I was just going to add to that. Um, 
I think that every organization is going to be a little bit different on some people are going to be extremely quick leadership driven to join in and some are going to be a little bit more of a wait and see. And so what I, I have been taught and what I love about um, this is really talk, look, quite frankly, what we go into is a listen first and kind of look at our content pillars and our categories of what's performing well. Um, and actually, that's what I really love is we are, we have so much data. People are telling us what they want to engage with constantly. And we potentially aren't listening to it as much as we should. Um, and so that's what I love going in and being able to dig deeper of our content tags, our you know, slice and dicing of, hey, does this, does this content pillar actually really work well for video? Does this translate well to reels? What is the strategy? So if you have you know, an audience who's a little bit more of a eh, wait and see, I don't know that I wanna be like the first person that does this, um, or if you have people who are going to be wanna be the first people, you still, no matter what, are aligning to that brand value and you're still demonstrating, hey, we are still getting this to, to the next point and we are an innovator in what we do. Um, I know there's just sometimes there's two different approaches to it. So I wanted to be considerate of whether your leadership is, um, or even you just want to wait and see, or you want to be at the front end of it. Uh, just know that you really can use a listing tool to figure out what strategy it is. You don't have to reinvent the wheel because probably the data is already there. Absolutely. That was that was great, guys. I really do appreciate your answers to that. I switched off the presentation. I do think people wanted to see us. Um, so here we are, everyone in the flesh. Um, okay, if we want to go on to question three. Um, so I'll read it off to you guys. So what are your favorite metrics to consider when setting campaign goals? Um, Christina, did you want to take that one away? I don't know if it's a metric as much as it is a capability with listen first, um, you know, just boosting the listen first ego. Um, <laughs> one of the, <laughs> one of the biggest value adds that we get from this tool is benchmarking. So mm -hmm. I think that the benchmarking capability, especially that we're able to do that with TikTok right now, and there's such little amount of data and little understanding to some of these new platforms that are coming out, you know, whether or not they're public or not. Um, the benchmarking is really valuable, not just against ourselves, but we can have, you know, that whole list of different industry anonymized uh, brand sets that we can get a feel for, okay, how did we do at a campaign level against ourselves last year? How did we do against certain content types? How do we do against the industry, against the quarter, against the year? And just using that benchmarking tool really sets that understanding of content types that are working kind of like what Alyssa was talking about before like what is working for us against ourselves maybe what is working for us against the industry do we need to pivot do we need to adjust and then what's working well for each different platform too awesome Alyssa yeah um so pretty much everything that she just said was almost exactly what my answer was um which i love because we're all i mean we we just very much feel the same way about social um so i would agree um i would just add again a little bit of that plug of that um it's not necessarily a direct uh, metric but that content management um really sets you up for success so however that looks for your organization um being able to go in and to figure out what's performing well what's not what are the trends honestly for me comparing month over month um, is really important and quite frankly to be able to look at a three six nine month listing sort of exercise of you know for our industry what are we doing but also as a whole ad set across all you know for adt for all competitors um in that like what what are we doing that's really that's really going well um, and then i would also add one um is flexibility i think that is a metric that is 
quite frankly, not quantifiable, but is so important um, that really just sets you up for success of your flexibility of everything from how you execute to your metrics to what that looks like to quite frankly, oh my gosh, uh, Meta just dropped an entire new universe. Let's see if we can add this into the campaign. Like just things like that, like that's the nature of what we do. And it's cool. We're trusted to get to bring that. But um, I think that flexibility of, hey, we said we were going to have six things going on this month, but really in reality, these six things could actually turn into 12 smaller things over here or here. This could be a great time to do an A-B test um, kind of situation. Again, we are at the mercy of so many things here, but I think that flexibility, when you don't let people's insights tell you what to do and what they want to hear, and you don't let the algorithm sort of help you guide, help guide that journey for people, you're fighting upstream. Um, and really there's so much data that we have that should not make it that way. So I would just add flexibility as one of those non-quantifiable things, as well as your content management and tagging and all of that within um, a listing tool. Um, but uh, that's something that I just think is really important that we need to not forget about. Definitely. Flexibility is huge. That's key. Yeah. Just, just um, to add on the flexibility note, like being able to watch in real time through listen first and like all of our listening tools, like how metrics are changing, like on back to the previous question of like how everything is changing so quickly and sorry, and new things are getting added to the platforms at all times. Like just seeing like how, how quickly things are changing from the platform, like Alyssa said, literally month over month. Yeah. We all know that Slack notification and haunts my dreams. So don't worry about it. <laughs> Um, cool. Yeah. So I wanted to circle back to benchmarking really quick. Um, I know I like to look at like on a rolling basis because everything we keep saying that everything's constantly changing. When you look at benchmarking, do you typically look at like year to date last six months? I typically like to look at a rolling 30 day period. Um, but what do you guys look at? I think it depends on what you're comparing to. So for just a general analysis, I think because things change so rapidly, I look at the last quarter or I can look at the last yeah. 30 days because, and that's normally what I kind of just re recommend because, you know, just like the meta universe drop, you know, these plat, we're at the mercy of these platforms. We don't have that much control, but we can control how we interact with these algorithms and try to take that control back. So I try to look at the smaller timeframes. Of course, like if you look at a bigger window, just always keep in mind what happened in that last year in the social landscape. Did TikTok launch something? Did Reels come out? And just having that knowledge when you are looking at that analysis, when you do see major fluctuations will kind of help you not to be, you know, disappointed when you see major dips because it could have just been a huge algorithmic change and you had to pivot strategy and focus on a different area. Yeah. Uh, no, go for uh, it. I'm just gonna, I would add, um, so I'm typically month, monthly, because here's why. Um, I find that if I'm not looking at it in pretty granular, so I would go monthly and then quarterly. And the reason why is because I find that sometimes if I look at it a larger, there's something that I miss. There's little, like month over month should be telling you, hey, this is where this is going. And this is where we can start looking at trends. If you're waiting to do a six month look back, that is stuff is dead and gone. That is that is just, it's, it's not because most likely those trending sounds that could have worked for your company aren't going to come back around that kind of thing. Um, you know, we're not at the point of social yet where it has come around where you're like, well, I was 12 years old when that sound first came out. Um, <laughs> now I'm like in my forties, uh -huh. like we're not at that point of having a social experience. 
Um, but I think that that's really important is that um, whether it's short, I, I just, I would hearken to, if you're going to look at the, like, like Christina said, if you're going to look at a year, um, I um, like, I just say, hey, take it, take all the things into consideration, but also think about what are those micro moments that were better opportunities to take advantage of. Um, so I look at it at a huge to smaller, but I would really, really suggest that quarterly, monthly review. Uh, I, I agree with what both of these lovely ladies said. Um, I would also maybe look at platforms differently depending on like how old they are like some of the older platforms like maybe you can go month to month maybe you can go quarterly but the newer platforms that are changing more quickly are the ones that you really want to keep an eye on because like those are the ones that can just explode with trends or data or metrics just like a lot faster yeah i think um the key learning from all <laughs> so far is variables there's so many variables um to, to consider when we're planning campaigns um, all right, I think we can move on uh, to the fourth question. Um, so what metrics do you watch to determine when you need to pivot your strategy? Um, Sarah, did you want to take that away? Yeah, so I, I personally love looking at like shares, saves, retweets, because I think when your, your followers or just users in general are taking that initiative to like share it with their circle, their immediate, immediate, you know, their following that says something a lot about the content that you're creating and that it's worth sharing with other people. Um, and that also just helps it algorithmically. So if people aren't wanting to engage with it, then in that way, then there's probably room to pivot. Definitely. Anything else, ladies? Alyssa? Uh, yeah. So for us, we're going to be optimizing towards high quality engagement with breach. Um, and I actually think that the beauty of having such different industries on a panel like this is talk is showcasing how, what a measure of success is so different for us. And so high quality engagement for reach for us, we're in a nurturing experience. Um, some other people might be more in a consideration or a just, hey, this is a fun fun content sort of thing. Not that we're all just here for fun, but um, there's a very, very different, I mean, I'm having fun, but um, these are very, very different content strategies. Um, and so for us, it's going, hey, if we're creating content that is engaging, like it is high quality engagement that quite frankly might result in safe shares, likes, whatever, um, but ultimately makes us a consideration for people um, and that makes us reach more people, that's a measure of success for us. And I think that really ultimately um, it comes down to knowing your audience, listening and being able to know those content pillars and tailoring it to the right audience to be able to say, hey, we're getting really effective, high quality reach here. Um, and this is the engagement and people love reporting out on engagement. They love it. Um, it's easy to understand. So if you ever feel like, hey, I just need to be able to demonstrate what's going really well. It, for us, if you're optimizing towards that engagement um, and that high quality, it's, it's really a story that tells itself and you have to do less of that. Absolutely. Did anyone have anything else to add? I to add for our business specifically. So like we have a lot of different types of content that are just so different. So if you work in an industry similar to mine, where it's just things aren't always the same types of content, you're not, you know, maybe producing the same product, things differ almost, you know, quarter over quarter. What really helps us is looking at comments as well as sentiment. So being able to have that sentiment analysis and listen first, another ego push, um, is really helpful because 
you know, we might have a reality program airing and we want to know who our audience is leaning into or a documentary series and what are people resonating with most week over week as the miniseries is aired and really getting into those sentiment details, see what people are talking about, debating about if it's historical facts or about a specific, you know, high tense character, what is really driving people into our programming. And we get that so easily just through social so comments, sentiment, and then of course, obviously listening, I feel like are super important for us to understand, do we need to pivot in a different direction? Do people want to see more of this type of content? And then, you know, making sure we're giving our audiences what they want week over week for premieres, for announcements, you know, et cetera. Yeah. I love sentiment as a it's a crucial, crucial component of your strategy because it's literally live criticism. Like it doesn't get easier than that. Like you want to know someone's opinion, they're going to tell you. It's perfect. Um, it's live and in sound and you get it yeah. immediately and you can pivot exactly how you need to do it. So the listening and sentiment, I think is so valuable. Huge. Yeah. And it could be uh, utilized not only in media and entertainment, but even for like a brand, say, say like a makeup brand, like, oh, they feel like this product um, packaging is really cheap or there's shipping delays or there's customer service problems. They can act on that right away. Um, so it's a great tool. Uh, live criticism. It's like, it's like Yelp, but you're not getting a score from it. You can just only benefit from the criticism really. Awesome. All right. Now our next question here. So as a campaign comes to an end, how do you evaluate ROI? And I know there's variables to this too, but I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I think we have Sarah up first. Yeah, so as we've said throughout this entire meeting, it really just depends on what the goals of the campaign were. So if it's like click through for uh, ads that are running or impressions for brand awareness, it, it really just varies depending on campaign to campaign and, and what you want to take away from that. But I think for social in particular, the, the biggest way to evaluate a, a campaign is whether or not the social team themselves as like individuals and as a team learn something so that they can then take that into their next campaign. Because as we've also said, everything is constantly changing. So making sure that you are constantly learning from each campaign, each platform, wherever you're, you're posting a campaign, like making sure that you are constantly taking learnings from that. Right. Alyssa, did you have anything? Yeah, Sam, I think I'm required to say case by case basis at this point. It is, it is my hope of being on this webinar. Um, so I'm actually going to just have that blanket there. But what I actually really love um, when it comes to evaluating ROI is we can have this data and obviously we've talked about, hey, you know what you're optimizing towards. What I have learned is so incredibly crucial is actually um, compiling the qualitative data that you have about what you learned. Quite frankly, um, was this a successful campaign? Maybe yes, but was it sustainable because of the efforts that we had? Um, I think a really great um, example of this is that I've actually begun all of our internal partnerships. I have do been documenting, hey, here's what the results were, here's what the lift was, here's what the steps were. Because I can tell you right now, I can tell you how to put together a campaign from six months ago, but quite frankly, I'm not gonna remember every single bit of the minutia in between there. And it might be that right now with the priorities that things are, certain partners can't work with us to some help something lift off. Off, which will crucially impact how something is probably going to be deployed. Um, and so I really encourage people to document on every single campaign. What are the steps? What are the takeaways? Is this feasible? Is this not feasible? Is it something where, hey, if you really want this campaign, we're going to need more resources to be able to lift this. Or if you really want to achieve this metric, 
based upon this amount of, you know, information that I've been able to, you know, I can present to you and tell you in a similar case, obviously case by case basis, but Mm -hmm. in a similar case by case basis, this is what this took. Are you really ready to have this, to undergo this amount of effort that might potentially take away effort on another item? Um, Sometimes it's, you know, things can happen concurrently. We all contain multitudes of projects um, within ourselves and then with at work. And so um, I just really recommend in that post campaign analysis or whatever project that is, you need to be able to have what was the team learnings in it, what the flexibility, um, what were the goals? I'm going to tie it all together in this one. Uh, the flexibility, <laughs> the goals, the high quality engagement with reach. What are all of those things? And what did it take to get there? Because that is so often what we don't price out in a campaign is what that looked like and what it cost. Because every time we say yes to something, we're saying potentially a lower no to something else. Um, so factor that into your planning and to your like ROI. Definitely. And Christina, did you have anything to add on that? Yeah, well, Sarah and Alyssa said everything. The only thing I would add is that um, look at your losses as well as your wins. I think it's an important value to understand if you didn't hit your goal, there's obviously major learnings that you can garner for that. It's not just the fact that it was a major loss. Did you um, potentially pivot during the strategy? Was there learnings that you could have made? Were you looking at the wrong metrics? Could you have tested and learned a different way? But then also sometimes with losses, um, you kind of disregard the soft insights. So I think what can be really valuable is did you maybe tap into an audience you hadn't reached before? Were you looking at sentiment and you noticed different thematics and how people were talking, you know, just looking at the word cloud or looking at the way that sentiment was ebbing and flowing? So I think that, you know, of course, like Alyssa was saying, all of that kind of roundup in those wrap reports is super important. And then also maybe looking even deeper than that to see what is that small like niche area that maybe we weren't even trying to target and we seem to have tapped into, maybe that's where our audience was and that's why we, we didn't resonate as strongly with this campaign or this announcement or whatever have you. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. So keeping, you know, circling back to what Alyssa had said, so just documenting all of your campaigns. Um, do you keep them uh, like for say a year or so and you look at the trend or is this is this secret sauce? Am I not allowed to re- unveil? No, that nothing is secret. There's no single <laughs> bullet. Remember, there's there's no there's right. no anything. Um, right. So I would say quantitative and qualitatively keep those two things. Um, so I quite frankly I'm on I, everything that I do, if it's related to a campaign or an effort, like I'm going to have some sort of a document like that. Um, right. It's your secret sauce is going to be your secret sauce. There's no, there's no magic to it. It just happened to be that we learned early on, Hey, in order to effectively preach the social gospel and to preach the social message, this is something that we need to proactively have to be able to demonstrate the sort of ownership we can have in an area. Um, and so really what I actually do typically before I start any sort of partnership is just kind of go through some of the more successful ones and one, maybe one, you always remember the negative things, but, um, yeah. maybe what refresh of, Hey, what do we want to avoid? Um, and here's some things that look the guideposts that can put us on the right, right sort of trajectory on that one. So there's no secret sauce. There's not, it's just, it happens to be people who love documenting things and who like to be able to say, Hey, here's a deck of everything we've done for the past year and a half. Have at it. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, this one, this last question is tough because there are so many variables and I know we touched on it. So it could be click-through rate to a website. It could be subscriptions to a service, box office numbers, viewership numbers on a TV series, or even like followers on social. I know that's a glamour metric, but the, gaining new followers, especially if you're a new brand trying to do that for a campaign, um, that could be a success metric there to evaluate that, that ROI. So this was really great, guys. Um, I think it's time to jump into some audience questions. Um, I have a few here. I'm switching the slide like everyone can see the slide that I'm on. We're looking at each other, so we don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, but cool. So looking at this first question, um, it says, what do you recommend is the right amount of time to wait to pull social data? Uh, for example, pulling data only after one to two days since the post went out, uh, as it may inflate impressions or engagements, or is one week sufficient? So how do you guys approach that? Don't pull it too soon. <laughs> don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't, don't. Um, I think social algorithms prioritize specific types of content. Mm -hmm. And you never really can predict when something is going to take off and perform well. So pulling too soon, sharing that internally can sometimes set off alarms that you just don't want to deal with. Right. So I normally recommend, and I know this is available in Listen First as like the seven day window. I say, you know, give it that lifetime to get through the algorithm, to get recommended to other users, to get the shares, the views, the engagements, whatever it needs to get to live on social for that amount of time, yeah. because then you can actually make strategic changes that are valuable. Anytime before that, you run the risk of potentially completely pivoting strategy or setting off alarms to your internal stakeholders or what have you. And it just hasn't been live long enough to really get what it needs to get to show, you know, the value add. Right. Christine, yeah. Oh, go for it. I was like, Christine, the beauty of what you were just talking about is the instant nature of having that kind of data available to us versus other marketing marketing areas is so important that we stay cool, calm, and collected um, because we are we are the light of just hey. Um, we, we can pull this weekly, we will pull this monthly, we will pull this week over week for you, but you have to remember, you have to give quite frankly, I mean, you guys know what it's like to post something and just go like, is anybody out there? And then one like, and then all of a sudden, okay, things, you know, things happen. Like there's an algorithm and sometimes it needs a little juice. Um, so you, you can't just be able to say like pull within one to two days and be like, here's what the results are. Things live. And that's the beauty of it, especially on different channels is, I mean, people all the time on TikTok have something that they posted six months ago and then all of a sudden something happens versus a Reels. It's like, what's happening here? And um, just those different natures. So I would say, because you know, similar, we do a weekly um, and, and, you know, and every week and then we do a month review, but stay cool, calm and collected because if we react in the moment of what the trends are, um, in the time that we've been on this call, we would have five different reports conflicting with each other. Yeah. So like, just, just stay, stay the course and remain encouraged of, you know, we're putting things out there. And the great thing is that whether this looks good or bad in theory for reporting, we're learning what people want from us. Right. 
Yeah, I typically, you know, in my past work and my current work right now in strategy, just being a strategist and being in the data a day to day, I know that we typically looked at we looked at content uh, 24 hours right after something was posted as a pulse check. It's a good pulse check. You always do 24 hours, 48. You really see that pick up maybe 72 if you really want to keep an eye on it. And then that seven day recap is where you really saw everything kind of play out. It did its run through, like Christina said, it went through the algorithm. Everyone saw it. They're on to the next thing now. So you can have that final number unless it's boosted at a later point, but that would be your lifetime number at the seven day mark. We typically see um, the life of a post online completely taper off after the seven day mark. And that would be considered your lifetime moment. But pulse checks are important. If you need someone who's a little like, oh my God, what's going on with this post? I need to know what's going on with the campaign. Um, but we've seen, yeah, uh, the seven day period to be like, a good stopping point and saying like, this is what we got for this campaign for, or this post at this time. Cool. Sarah, did you have anything to add? Yeah, no, I mean, you guys all, you guys all covered it. I definitely think that like something to, to account when you are pulling data is just like what you're pulling data for. Is it for a specific post? Is it for an influencer like partnership? Is it for um, like a giant campaign? Like just making sure you know what it is that you're you're looking for and then that kind of helps guide like when to be pulling the information and like you were saying Sam like the cadence of that information as well. Do you see a difference um, between influencer engagement and that time span being live online and garnering that engagement compared to like say your brand? I think it depends on the platform for sure and like where that influencer's um, following like majority is and like also then what is the partnership, like what is the content that is being created and like, is it right for them? Right. Like Instagram is typically the platform that they take off on, unless it's a TikTok influencer. And that's unless it's TikTok. <laughs> yeah. That's a whole nother world. That's a horse of a different color. I am still trying to figure that platform out. Um, different webinar. <laughs> yeah. Different webinar. Uh, we'll figure that out. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting. Influencer. Yeah. I feel like influencers get their engagement right away. I feel like they're, they have a very short time span because everyone's trying to see like what else they're doing. Um, but that's- I think it depends too for influencers. Like if you're, and obviously this can be a whole nother webinar. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but, if but it's, let's look. It, it needs to make sense for your brand too. So I think we, you know, you might look at an influencer campaign and think like, oh, why didn't that perform well? I don't understand. Like this influencer is a mega influencer and they have millions of followers. Like why didn't this connect? And I think it's, yeah. people are so- it's such a bloodbath on social. It is. <laughs> you can't do something that doesn't make sense for your brand and audiences know immediately. Yep. So really finding those influencers, does that, do they produce content that makes sense for you? Do they share views about themselves personally or about brands that make sense for your brand? And then if so, how can then you create something with this influencer that's going to make sense for your brand that's going to make sense for them and that's going to achieve the goal that you have as a group versus just paying money down for a mega influencer and hoping that you know things work out right there the influencer's tone needs to match your brand 
that's one of the biggest things because you can tell when it's not authentic and you're not pushing it. And this is something actually, I believe I spoke about when I was a panelist on the other webinar, not hosting, I've changed roles. But when I was a panelist, we did talk about the authenticity of a brand and an influencer and a partnership. And we saw a really great example. And I love this example because I still see the ads right now because it's working so well for them. But Gucci and Francis, who uh, Francis is the train guy. He loves trains and he's always, that, that partnership was great because they didn't change him they kind of morphed into his personality and they were able to get their brand out there not that Gucci needs any more advertising but they were able to partnership with another person and be able to match their tone which no I, I think that's I think that's a great point and sort of it's kind of diverging into an influencer conversation but yeah. um I, I actually love this because I think people don't understand there's there's a lot of strategy that goes into influencing um, and one of the most important things is just because somebody has a really large audience doesn't mean they have an engaged audience. Right. That doesn't mean that they're going to show up instantly. And so for us, it's incredibly important that somebody um, doesn't just come out of the left field and just suddenly start posting about our products. I mean, what one, it's inauthentic. And then two, it, quite frankly, it also tanks their reputation um, as, hey, this is, doesn't really feel like an alignment. People are smart. People are telling us what they yeah. want. People are smart. Um, you and I know what it's like to see someone where you're like, that is not authentic. I don't want to follow you anymore. Goodbye. Um, right. and, and I am the first one to be like, mm, this is just not smart on any agency part to do this at all on this outreach. Um, I'm, I'm hyper, hyper mean because I am in marketing about that. Um, so I think there's a level of First off, don't count out the, the micro-influencer or that mid-level influencer because those people are actually really working to build their communities. I think yeah. that's something that actually is really important to talk about. If you're going to do that high-quality engagement and then reaching, um, people who are really actually spending time daily, um, those those are going to be within, probably have a longer life of two to three days, I would almost say, of you know coming back and having that conversation. Um, so I would say that value that they're adding isn't necessarily, hey, yeah, you have an asset you can probably use now and, and you know put money behind it and that kind of thing. But there's a conversation and an association that you're going to have and build out larger opportunities for for ongoing partnerships so that it strengthens both of your names. So just just kind of adding to that is, yes, it's, it's pretty, pretty fast, but I would add to that again, still give them time to be able to grow um, because the algorithm, quite frankly, still, I mean, you know, that you're getting posts from like, you're like, that's from two weeks ago. I just want to see one that my best friend posted two days, like a day ago. That's all I yeah. want. Um, <laughs> but it's just, I would say that. And, and literally, as we say that you get a notification that we're back to chronological feed um, on Instagram. So we don't know. So like just that kind of thing is just, I think really important to to allow that little bit of time, but then also not discount if, if you got something incredibly, if you got an influencer that has a really large number, like look at the engagement rate to see if that really was worth your time or that ROI. Right. Yeah. I do see, um, I feel like micro influencers do have a much more engaged audience. So that's interesting that you had said that as well. So like, cause their audience wants to be there because it's a smaller following. It's a niche following rather than like having someone with a billion followers. They're, they're passive. They're just there because everyone else is following them too. So if you want someone to pay attention to your product, I think mid-level and micro influencers definitely, um, help in a brand campaign. Um, cool. Uh, we have another question here. So, um, how are different groups getting IG reels data, the infamous IG reels data? How are you guys doing it? And then I can share how we're doing it. Um, manually. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I don't, you know, I'm just waiting with bated breath when listen first gets the green light from Instagram and That's we have access to it. <laughs> 
Yep, us too. We're uh, we uh, typically are doing it manually, looking on my phone, gathering the insights as uh, as timely as possible. If it's like say it's a twenty four hour report, you got to try to align it as best as possible. Um, Sarah and Alyssa, are you doing similar? If you're using real data, yeah, doing the same. I think something that's interesting about you doing it manually is seeing if your reel got picked up by the Facebook algorithm because that happens a lot with our content specifically, like we'll post something and then all of a sudden it have taken off in like 10 minutes. And a huge part of that is because of the integration of Facebook reels as well. And like how they're using both to leverage the content on both platforms. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a pain point for everyone. Everyone wants it somewhere, (laughs) but we got to do it the right way. We got to wait for Instagram to say, here it is. And you know, reels came out right when we got IGTV data, which we had the same situation with um, a year prior. So we were like, yeah, we got IGTV, no problem. They're like, all right, but what about reels they released last week? We're just like, all right, give us a second. (laughs) The API still needs to catch up. So we're waiting for that. Um, Alyssa, you had your uh, thing on mute if you want to. No, no, you're totally good. I was just going to say it is still the same screenshotting and putting into a report that everybody else is doing. Um, I will say an interesting part of that is um, we actually do have an influencer strategy for reels. Um, so it's, it's actually cool to get to, to get to report out on what those different are. So, um, we, we somewhat also just get to compile a report of what other people are doing, but, um, there is unfortunately no magic number. It is just a lot of time in Excel and some screenshots and messaging to make sure we got exactly at the 23 hour and 59 minutes, like <laughs> make sure we have, do we, is, what is it? So, um, it's yeah. no magic at all. No magic. And it's tough also because sometimes it's not in the public feed it's in the reels tab. So you have to check both spots, which is frustrating. Do you guys, do you guys look straight on, um, like, do you go on your phone? Do you go on desktop when you're collecting? Both? Both. I usually just pull from my phone because the yeah. desktop versions of apps, sometimes I'm, I don't trust. It's so scary. I I'm still logged in. I'm logged in on my computer just for like work and like just so I can get to a link fast enough without them saying, please log in. And I'm like, oh my God, just let me look at the picture. Um, But I'm logged in there. And when I'm going through it, I feel like I can't see certain things. Like if I'm trying to find views, I'm like, where the hell are they? Yeah. Uh, But they are, you know, it's much easier to do it on your phone. Everyone's on their phone nonstop anyway. It's got an airdrop, right? Yeah. Airdrop back and forth. (laughs) Thank God for Apple. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Cool. If there's nothing else on that, everyone good on that the reels situation um we have another question here (laughs) um with video content this is also tricky so with video content what metrics do you focus on it's a good one i feel like i can tee it up a little bit um because i was thinking about this as i was reading the question um earlier it depends on again variable depends Uh on what platform you're looking at because it's a matter of like qualitative and quantitative viewership. So most platforms, three seconds, you got to view, two seconds, you got to view. So that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. But if you're getting good views on YouTube, you need 30 seconds of that user's attention. So that's really important to look at. So if you have high viewership on YouTube, make sure that the the bulk of the story that you wanted to tell was in the first 15, 20 seconds, because that's when that person's paying attention. And that's how you know that they understood your mission. Um, I know view through rate is also an interesting one. Which, which ones do you guys look at? 
I think it's like you're saying where it depends on platform, you know, like Facebook is now prioritizing longer form video because they want to keep you on the platform longer. So do you then look at time watched for Facebook? Cause that's data that you can get, um, versus for like a reels, if you're manually tracking it, <laughs> um, versus like a TikTok. are you testing out like the minute to the three minute long video? And then I know TikTok's going to be releasing longer video form too. So then testing that comparatively. So I think it's what's important, especially for video, cause it's such a the platforms are starting to prioritize them so much more in the algorithm, really understanding maybe the time watched and the length of the video. Um, and then like, you know, the view through rate, I think is just going to be helpful to understand the differing audiences for each platform and then how the platforms are prioritizing certain types of content based off length and, you know, interest. I think something to note too, is like a lot of the platforms, just like Christina was saying, was like, they give us different numbers like they're not, they're not all consistent and how they're providing the data. So I think sometimes the easiest strategy is just to pull the, the data that is consistent across all of those platforms, because then it builds like the strongest story for whatever your needs are. I would just add to that. Um, just because a three minute video is now possible on a platform, that does not mean that a consumer is going to watch an ad that is that is consumer facing data so i just want to be really clear that 30 15 seconds last night i was on the treadmill and i was like this is the longest ad of out of my life i cannot believe <laughs> i'm having to sit here watching this ad even though i had no place to go other than to be on a treadmill um and so even then i was like you can pay me to do this um and so um i say that because uh i mean really if you've got somebody watching for for, I mean, Facebook's going to consider three seconds and yet they somehow want to push long form content. So I would say, listen to the numbers, but also work and realistically, again, go back into your listing and figure out what's actually doing. And you can kind of build, take people along the journey of maybe a little bit longer, but just because they're saying that doesn't mean that's the case. So I, I really have to take people because you know how it's going to go. Hey, Facebook now has three, it wants three minute videos. They don't want a three minute ad. No right. one does. Um, so I just really want to stress that remember consumer numbers versus advertising numbers. And remember that most likely, unless you have the most incredible integration that I have yet to see in my entire life, maybe a couple of makeup talks, maybe um, <laughs> even then people are going to be like, okay, great. Like how, like there's still a level of like, like get to the real stuff here. So right. don't bother people with content that is that long, just because Facebook tells you three minutes or meta saying, Hey, Instagram this, and then put this on there. Like Think smarter about it because um, only you know your data. You cannot take generalities here and apply that. So know yourself, know your audience and know all of that. And then remember consumer numbers versus advertising numbers. Right. I do feel like with longer form video, now that it's like more thing, it's more available on all these platforms, I feel like it only performs well. I know you don't want to watch a three minute ad, but if it's tied to a big event, like the Super Bowl, if you have a three minute, and that way you released it, say on Facebook, I feel like that's where it would do the best rather than just like a Tuesday in August, you know, I'm going to steal Alyssa's comment of it's case by case, you know, so <laughs> here we are. And I think Sam, you made a good point before where it's like on YouTube, you know, if people are only watching for 30 seconds and you need to have the juiciest content up front, but no one maybe is watching anything on Facebook for 30 seconds. So you need an even smaller time frame of your, you know, uh, cliffhanger or whatever your hook there we go right so I think that's part of the challenge like Alyssa was saying is you know what is the platform specific 
what makes sense for your brand just because it's available, you know, maybe do a test and learn, but then your learn might be, Hey, this doesn't work for us. Maybe the three minute video on TikTok is just not something that works for our brand. We don't, you know, our audience just doesn't like it. We need that quick, playful, fun content versus maybe for your brand, you know that you have that engaged audience. You know that they're going to tune into something for three minutes and you can really kind of test and learn with these different capabilities. It only is becomes a hindrance is when Facebook is prioritizing certain types of content and you're thinking, well, hey, our three minute videos on Facebook used to do good and now they're prioritizing long form. What the heck? Then that's when you kind of pivot your strategy to say, okay, well, TikTok is still performing well or Reels is still performing well. Like, how can we then readjust and, you know, pivot our strategy? Yeah. Are you seeing right now on Facebook with the new, with the new edition, are you seeing longer form videos take off? And not that everyone's putting that out though. That's the biggest thing. It's like, are people actually putting out three minute videos other than like, say it's like a recap of a, like a show, like behind the scenes look, it would be more fan curated content, curated for the fans, I should say, rather than like just a general promotion. Are you guys seeing that take off or? We actually, it's funny timing because I, I did not anticipate this question, but um, we did, we recently had a long one and I, um, I remember looking at my leader and being like, that's a really long video. <laughs> what are we doing here? Um, and so uh, kind of to this point, uh, just backing up to tying these two together is we have put it out. Um, it was interesting. I don't think it was necessarily the right execution, which again, that was a learning for us. Um, but I actually think that the bigger challenge and overall point of this is you can create a three minute video, but guess what? You need to create a three minute video that goes well to 15 seconds that tell the story in 20 seconds that tell the story in 30 seconds. Be right. really crafty about how that narrative is because I mean, you, and you see it's good advertising in general. You see the Budweiser ads uh, leading up, you know, as a, a storytelling. And I actually, I love storytelling, um, like long form storytelling um, in that way of, hey, you got to see five or six commercials. It's a big risk because you got to assume people are going to see you six times on TV. <laughs> Um, but I think that this actually speaks to, you can have that longer form content and test it and see how it does, but you also need to have those short snippets that you know are already going to take off because quite frankly, Facebook is probably going to auto optimize those. Um, and it says it's going to prioritize the long form, but if it can't get people, even if Facebook can't get people to watch it, it's, it's maybe not going to be the same. So just be smart about how that long form is because you might have an opportunity to test it, but you also need to be able to think about how it's going to go in much shorter formats as well. Right. Yeah. You got to be able to take from it. You need to optimize your content so you can have a 15 second clip in there uh, for sure. That's what people do with trailers. That's the majority of Sarah knows she does this with MGM all the time. You have your two and a half minute trailer and then you got the rest of your social campaign right in that that official trailer. You get different 15 second clips, share them on Instagram as maintenance content and you're ready to rock. Yeah, I definitely live that life, Sam, as you know. Um, I just find it so interesting that all of the platforms like were so into long-form content because YouTube was like the biggest competitor and then TikTok right. came out and now it's all short form, but now TikTok is doing the opposite and they're doing 10 minute videos. So I just think it's so interesting how these platforms are just like out competing each other with every, every single type of video formatting option. Yeah. Even with stories. It's so crazy. Yeah. Okay, we have a, one more question here. So for movie trailers, do you have uh, creative themes recut for social use and digital best, best practices? Do I have creative teams recut? Uh, so you get a master master trailer and then that's approved. And then once you have that, then you'll have to get individual, any, any additional cut of that trailer needs to also be cut and be approved. I am not doing the cutting. 
Uh, I'm not an editor. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So there's a lot of approval process that has to go through. Everyone's got to check. The yeah. I mean, it's better off. You never know. <laughs> right. It's always good. You never know. You never know. <laughs> All right. Okay. 259. That was great, guys. Um, I feel like we can wrap this up. Um, a very special thank you to our panelists. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. It's taking an hour out of your day. Time is very valuable, so I really do appreciate it. Um, and thank you for everyone who listened as well. Um, so we uh, hope that this information was valuable to you guys um, and it'll work your way into your measurement framework. So We'll be sending out the recording early next week. Be on the lookout for that. It'll be in your email for all attendees. Listen first customers. It'll be available on the platform as well, along with all of our other webinars that we've done. Um, and this will, the email will also send um, information on our next webinar. So this is going to take place in late April, and it'll be about four strategies for capturing social ROI. Um, thank you guys for coming. Um, enjoy the rest of your day, your week, your weekend, and we'll see you next month. Thanks, ladies. Bye, Bye, guys. Bye. Appreciate it. Bye.